Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. It's Frank Madden in an old school edition of Locked on Bucks. We're audio only today. And not just that, I have, Kane always introduced me as, as I, what does he even say? Like the original voice of the part, pod, longtime voice of the podcast. Yeah. I'm here with the other original voice of the podcast and another longtime friend of the pod. I'm here with Eric Name from The Athletic. I'm here with JJ Birch from many things, including the... Uh, UW Madison uh, PhD film program slash the blank check pod slash uh, two of my oldest uh, friends from brewhoop.com. Both of you uh, being alumni of of brewhoop. Uh, how's it How's it going, guys? It's I, I think the last time the three of us were on a podcast was I think it was 2018 after Mission Impossible Fallout came out, I believe. And uh, we were talking this summer about, you know, Top Gun Maverick came out. We got to we got to get the game back together and took a while. But but here we are. Well, yeah, let's see. It's 2020. Right. So it's been like two years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, nothing's happened in in the time between the last time we got together. Like really nothing around the world. Nothing in the Bucks universe. Uh, nothing has really happened. So, I mean, the, the good thing is we don't have like a lot to catch up on or anything. It's, it's totally fine. We, correct me if I'm wrong. Where were you in 2018? Where were you in your PhD journey? You are now. Ooh. I can call you Doctor Doctor JJ now, right? Yeah, you can. Hey, yeah, there you go. Um, I am Doctor JJ with us. You you were were you at the beginning of that at that point? Had you even started? Oh God. <laughs> It's so depressing to talk about, to like put it into numbers, how long it took. No, I had just, I would have just finished my coursework. So I had just finished two years of master's work and then two years of PhD work. So I've spent the last four years teaching and raising a child and writing a dissertation. So that's, that's, that's been a thing. Um, (laughs) So for 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 this podcast, we're going to do a couple things. We we can't again not talk about movies, including Top Gun Maverick. Uh, when I get this crew together, because we all we to, to quote uh, Vin Diesel, the movies. We love the movies. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk a little bucks first, because heck, that's how I know you guys originally. Anyway, and this is technically a bucks podcast, so uh, we got to check the box a little bit. We'll we'll you know, provide a, a scratch the itch for, for all of you that, you know, come to us for Bucks Chant Talk, which is the normal thing that you listen to this podcast for. And also I mean, my job. Also it's my also job. your job. I've got the, you know, the, the Bucks beat writer at The Athletic, you know, the 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 number one man in the beat, the, on the beat of the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I guess I have to ask Eric some questions about the Milwaukee Bucks. And funnily enough, training camp is about to begin. Um, the Boston Celtics are in absolute chaos. Uh the Phoenix Suns are the crazy stuff is happening with Robert Sarver. Um, 
all things are quiet on, you know, the Midwestern front, I guess, relatively speaking, Eric. So I, I guess I'll ask you the question, is, is there anything that, that you're looking forward to learning from this upcoming training camp over the next few weeks? Um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, fun videos of, of Giannis in Abu Dhabi, I guess we may see things like that, but what, what are we possibly going to learn from thankfully one of the most boring teams in the NBA? Uh, which I, I say that with, with nothing but love, especially given everything else happening in the league right now. I mean, I, I think the first thing is just that basketball is back. Like that, that's, that's great on its own. Um, I, it's weird after the last three years, it didn't feel like I ever had an off season and no one wants to hear about my complaints, but even if you're a Bucks fan, like there was never an off season, right? Like it was just like, Oh, basketball got done. I, got to see my family for i don't know a week or two and they yelled at me for watching all those playoff games all the time and not paying attention to them and oh by the way honey there's another season starting um so i gotta start watching bucks games again like that's just what it's been the last couple years uh so for me first off just basketball being back this was a long break uh for a bucks team that really hasn't had many breaks for a while so i would start there but then as far as what's interesting about this team uh i think the the really disappointing part about this is that the one big offseason addition that they made, Joe Ingles, isn't going to be ready until like Christmas. So you can't even get hyped up and get told the stories of, oh, yeah, Jan Joe Ingles has been in the weight room just crushing it or he's at pickup runs and no one can believe all the passes that he's been able to throw. Like You don't even get those stories. Uh, so instead, you are, as you mentioned, Frank, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit. Uh, and trying to figure out what's going on. But like, I think I think it is genuinely interesting what kind of role Marjan Bochamp can play in the first 40 games of the season. Like before Ingles comes back, can he be a role player? It might honestly be nice. You let him in for 40 games, Ingles comes back, you take him out for 20 games, you hopefully avoid the rookie wall, and then maybe he can come back around for the final 20 games, get back in a rhythm, help guys rest, and then by the playoffs, maybe he's something. It, like that is an interesting thing. And then I think the other thing I find myself wondering is uh, all season long, we saw Grayson Allen start. Um, he was starting shooting guard. I mean, he had some really great games. He, he looked incredible. That's the best season he's put together ever in his career. Uh, and then by the end of the season, Wesley Matthews was on the team and he was ready to go. And all of a sudden Wesley Matthews was starting. So, it's weird to like think about this like as such a long process, but I think the expectations for this Bucks team make you do that. Like you have to view it in this way. You can't have the the quick thrills of the first couple games of the season of training camp or anything like that. Like you have to be thinking long term. And I am genuinely curious. Like, how do they try to manage Wesley Matthews for a full season? They only had to do it for 50 games last year. Uh and, and I think that made it easier and that allowed him to start 12 playoff games and allowed him to defend guys as well as he did. So uh, how do they go about that? How they manage everything? Does Serge Ibaka take some of Brooke Lopez's games? Uh, does Mamu see the floor? Like all of that stuff is interesting. And I think getting some insights from Mike Boonholzer, who is obviously, uh, you know, as everyone knows, very open, very forthright about his plans and what he's thinking about as a coach. He's always delighted to talk to the media. Uh, so I'm sure we'll get lots of insight into that. Uh, just to see that. Obviously I kid, but I, I, to me, that's all the interesting stuff is like, how do they try to figure out 
how to take this journey and win another championship. Yeah, I'm. Th- that is one thing that is very different since the last time the three of us podcasted. The level of expectations, and I, you know, JJ, one of my favorite things to do over the past year is talk to people about, you know, it's it's kind of like the the Chris Farley uh, show interviews <laughs> with like uh, Paul McCartney on on SNL in the early '90s, like. You know, you remember when you were in the Beatles, you know, and I, I just kind of have that like, you remember when the Bucks won a championship? What was that like, you know, but um, but I, I think that's one of these things, right? Like, I don't there's obviously pressure now every year that Giannis is going to be here to win a championship. And that that's the bar. Um, mm-hmm. But thankfully, it's the bar because they've they've reached it. And I mean, just curious for you. I mean, we all have kind of processed this team winning a championship, getting over the hump. Um that kind of journey. I mean, the, 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 roller coaster of, of that playoff run. And then obviously the past year and, and kind of everything that's come after it, uh, everybody's had their own, <laughs> you know, you, you were writing a dissertation, you were raising uh, a little kid. We, we were similar in, uh, in at least the, the raising a little daughter uh, side of things, but I don't know. I mean, what, what was it like for you as a fan? You, you grew up with this team, you know, you were with us in the foxholes, maybe not writing that many articles, punishing yourself by writing that many articles about the Bucks no. back in the day, but you obviously have spent a lot of your psychic energy thinking about the Milwaukee Bucks. And I mean, what was it like for you to see them finally get over the hump and sort of enter this brave new world of like kind of trusting the Bucks? I don't know. Still weird to say. Yeah. Well, as the person who wrote, both the I wrote two news stories when I was at Brew Hoop. I wrote the Urson trade, deeply popular. Not sure how I grabbed that one. And I wrote, I don't maybe it was opening night, but I wrote about Frank Caliendo performing at halftime once. So yeah, I was not in the trenches at Brew Hoop. I was only photoshopping awful creations. Um, Let me just say this: I think it was the. 2012 13 bucks that you did a, an article where the premise was entirely comparing that roster to criterion collection films and you mm-hmm. like went the full length of photoshopping bucks into the you know art of of these movies i will always remember i think it was the brandon knight eraser head oh yeah uh, picture which <laughs> will always stay with me um and if any team deserved to uh to get that level of treatment it truly was like that, that like, you know, 2012, 13 era buck. So thank you for your service. I'm sure many people have that. that Yeah. I'm sure many people when uh, the great Jean-Luc Godard passed away this past weekend, they were looking for that Ursan Photoshop into his (laughs) 1967 film weekend. (laughs) Um, It's been weird. I, this is the longest I've gone um, without going to a professional basketball game since I've been old enough to buy tickets Um, first because of the pandemic. And then it's just really hard when you live 90, even just 90 minutes away from the arena to go, well, it's a pandemic and you have a child. Um, so we're planning on going finally, I think it'll, it'll feel a little more real almost when I'm finally there and I see the team, although at this point it's now a couple seasons removed. Um, but I think in general, the way I processed the kind of championship was all through kind of like these mediated screens. Like, um, I'm not someone who likes to post pictures of myself online or a video of myself online. That's not the reason this is audio only. <laughs> um, you're like you're fully clothed. Uh, we yeah, I am. Each other. I think so. Uh, yeah, you're no, wearing pants, but at least you know you appear to be in normal, your presentable form. Yeah. 
Um, but, um, during the championship run, I was like posting videos of myself by my TV, like crying just because of how excited I was and how incredible it was. And one of the things too, and maybe just because now I'm thinking about another season coming up, um, winning that first championship brought me so much joy as someone who lived, has still lived most of my life in Milwaukee. Um, and now the switch has flipped where it's not like I want another championship for Milwaukee. I'm just like, we need to build out Giannis's like goat profile. He needs to have another championship in the resume so he can keep climbing above all these other people. And instead it's like Milwaukee, we got that. It was an incredible moment. I've been back. I've seen the Giannis mural, even though I haven't been inside the arena, all that kind of stuff. And now I'm like, and it's not even that concern about like, will Giannis leave or anything like that? I'm totally contented with kind of the state of Milwaukee professional basketball. It's just, we have this guy here. We need to do everything we can for him. So my arguments are easier to make against people when they ask, is he already better than Kevin Durant? The answer is yes. Uh, yeah, it totally is. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's funny, JJ, because I also, it's amazing how much of my sort of perspective view of the Bucks and like what I, what, the, what I think of it, like the lens through which I look at this is through the lens of Giannis's historical resume and, and what another championship would mean for where he ranks in that, in that all-time list. Because I think, you know, obviously the, the biggest impact on, you know, your legacy, right. As, as much as some those, those discussions can be tiring, obviously going from zero championships to one championship is, is obviously the most significant one. And he's basically, you know, if he stays healthy and even if he never wins a championship, right. I mean, he should be like a top 20 talent, right. I think Eric athletic had him like 22 or something like 24, that. Yeah. Yeah. Last year in the, in the top 75 already. Um, mm -hmm. So him being in just like that, super elite class like he's already there um but if you go from one championship to two championships then i think you start looking at like well geez top 10 ish all time you know mm -hmm. and and i mean it's kind of hard to think about like three titles four titles i don't know just the idea of a milwaukee bucks team winning like three or four titles just seems like just completely <laughs> insane to me uh so I'm, I'm 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 focusing on two for now but but i i totally agree and and um it's uh yeah it's just it's just different and and i think i mean every you know they're gonna have a chance right and i think some of the core is gonna get older and okay we'll we'll see kind of how long the window opens i think i think the boston situation we'll see how the celtics react to all this stuff that's happening right I, i'm not gonna try to summarize everything that's happening i know eric we've been kind of dming trying to sort through yeah. this the email yudoka story and what this means and all that um but I don't know. It just, it just reminds you like stuff changes so quickly. And I thought in like July, like when they got Brogdon, I'm like, man, on paper, like that's, they, they probably should be the East favorites, right? Just given what we saw last year. And two months later, it's like, you know, Gallinari is out for the year, which, okay, I don't know if that matters a whole lot, but um, you know, Rob Williams now can't get over his knee injury and their coach who obviously was so central to, to them coming together last year. I mean, can he honestly coach for that team ever again? He's suspended for a year. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy how quickly things change and just makes me really appreciative again for how boring and in the best way possible the Milwaukee Bucks are. I'm looking at the, 
betonline.ag odds right now. Um, when were they last updated? I'm, that's the thing. I can't tell when these were last updated, but this these odds. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this for for posterity, and then we'll see where it is like in two days. Right now, they still have the Celtics at plus six hundred to win the championship. Warriors at plus six fifty. Bucks plus seven hundred. Methinks there will be some movement in those lines. Um, I, I again just with the talent and the depth in the league. I, you know, just your coach randomly disappearing and being replaced by a fairly inexperienced assistant. I feel like that's probably got to move the odds a little bit. Um, but let me, let me put on my Kane Pittman hat. Shout out to Kane. He's uh, in somewhere in the outback or something covering uh, <laughs> or I don't know, something he's doing work. The man's, yeah. the man's gainfully employed he is. He's in Australia, made, a, made an honest man of him. Um, but Normally, Kane would be the one telling you about how betonline.net is your number one source source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles now on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easy way to check in on all your favorite games, events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, and oh yes, NBA basketball. Head to betonline.net, use your mobile device to learn more, bet online where the game starts. And um, I will definitely be checking to see where these uh, these NBA futures odds go. Uh, Giannis, MVP, uh, title championship odds, all those things will be very fun. Um, okay, so we've got our perfunctory basketball discussion out of the way. So. If you're not tolerant of us getting into some pop culture discussion, some movie discussion, some TV discussion, feel free to you know push skip and move on to your next. Uh, I, I was going to jump in here. I'm yeah. I'm just going to invite myself onto the podcast again. Uh, I haven't told Kane we should do this, but I feel like there's a week before like the final preseason game and the first regular season game. Like I'm just going to invite myself on. At some point, I'll come on and Kane and I can do like a full proper. Like us three, no JJ. Sorry, JJ. Um, it'll be me, Kane, and Frank, and we'll do like a proper preview. How does that sound, Frank? That sounds great. Um, great. I'm, I'm always the hardest person to pin down on these things. Um, well, maybe so, it'll end up being me and Kane. Who knows? But it, 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 I'll be on during that week. I'm just gonna promise. Oh, that eyes. I won't feel as bad um, missing because I've gotten at least to do to do this podcast. And most importantly, Kane, who doesn't really like. I don't know if Kane like you're not a TV watcher, Eric, but like okay. Kane's not like an anything watcher. Um, he watches just like I think he's seen like Breaking Bad, maybe. Mm. That's yes, that's true. And he was watching something else recently as well. He may I think he watches Better Call Saul as well. So I mean, he's yeah. you know, okay. So universe, just he's, that universe, just one thing. Yep. He's for, there's you know the show has got a lot of sand and shit. So he relates to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but. I, I want to. If we're going to talk about movies, this 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 trio that we have here, we have to. We can only start in one place, and that is with, I mean, the movie of the summer. Yep. The movie of the year. It's still. I, I checked the the listings. Like, this oh. movie is still playing here in Austin. Like it's it's oh, yeah. crazy how it's it's now available on like online too. But Top Gun Maverick, of course, if you've been living under a rock, uh, the sequel to. 
1985, uh, the original Top Gun movie. Um, it's now what, four months, four months out or something like that. It's made a bajillion dollars. I think it is the most successful box office movie of Tom Cruise's career, which is That's just wild. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's his first time. billion. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> finally, finally that guy getting a break. <laughs> yeah. He's had a rough go of it for sure. Finally, he's got some coin in his pocket. Glad to see just, you know, um, and I'll say this too. So, so, you know, people who follow us on Twitter individually, collectively, whatever, probably know that we are all big believers in sort of the Tom Cruise, the movie star. Um, Tom Cruise, the person, weird, weird dude. Lot of, yeah, lot, of yeah. stuff mm-hmm. lot to unpack. I normally have a hard time sort of separating out, you know, whether it's athletes, celebrities, whatever, and just sort of like saying like, oh, don't worry that that person's like a total weirdo. Like I, I usually kind of, it's hard for me to do that. With Tom Cruise, for some reason, I can do that. All right. So that's just like the premise of this podcast. And part is like, we're going to acknowledge that he's a total weirdo. Um, I don't think he's going to come on the pod now, but you know, so it goes. Um, he still might. He, you never know. Maybe he's not going to listen. He's, he probably only tunes in for the Buck stuff. He, he likes to come <laughs> on. He likes to listen to the recaps that came. Yeah. He flipped it off the second you said we're getting off the Bucks. <laughs> yeah. He's like, nope, I'm done. Um, he, you know, he doesn't like to miss mix basketball and, 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 his, and his work. That's, that's kind of where we're trying this. But, let me ask you this, JJ, because I mean, mm-hmm. you are a very serious watcher of movies. You are mm-hmm. you are uh, a connoisseur of film. Um, you yes. have strong opinions about movies. You oh, literally yeah. have a PhD in, in this in this stuff. That's um, true. What is it? Because and, and part of me, like I've I've always felt better about my love of Tom Cruise because you kind of have always been legitimizing my view is because like, oh, JJ's smart. And he actually knows stuff about how movies are made and, you know, has like real views on these things and has actually seen lots of movies, actual good movies, not just, you know, big blockbuster movies that I typically watch. What is it about this movie and, and maybe just Tom Cruise in general? Like, how does he sort of like transcend, you know, everybody for, I mean, because this, this, this film was universally loved by critics, by mm-hmm. average moviegoers. I, I'm very, I don't think it's going to be well, I don't know if you would I'm I'm not expecting it to be like nominated for like best picture or something. Um maybe? I don't know. I think so. It could. Okay. I think um, at this point also, I mean, partially because of other films, but yeah, there's a real push for Maverick to get that best picture slot. I love it. I, uh, I love it here. Um obviously it'll get up for all the like random like sound editing and lots of like the kind of oh, yeah. that that those sorts of awards. But I guess what is it about this movie that that mm-hmm. like really is able to transcend kind of you know the 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 normal divergence we've seen between fun big action blockbuster movies and movies that are just great movies right um irrespective mm-hmm. of that talk to us like how you view it as someone who you know thinks about teaches film theory all these things like what is it about this movie that that was able to kind of just hit it out of the park with everybody I think, I mean, one of the things that's so striking about Top Gun Maverick is the moment you sit down and those intro credits start and it feels like 1986 again and nothing has changed. (laughs) And of course, the movie that follows is also, at least from like a structure standpoint, from a dialogue standpoint, from kind of all of its storytelling standpoint, it very much still feels like a film from 1986 with some modern updates. Um... And then, of course, the filmmaking is so breathtakingly kind of like 2020s, like cameras are all over the planes and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's really like 
a lot of the success of this film is not only, I mean, the obvious things, Tom Cruise is a huge star. He had never made a billion before, but he's like our last huge movie star, him and Leo really. Um, and like Top Gun is a thing dads across the country are obviously very fond of. And now their children who maybe like me thought the first time they saw Top Gun, oh, this is the first time I'm questioning my dad's taste. I'm not sure if it's, <laughs> I'm not sure my dad knows everything. But um, I think beyond those kinds of things, like like the nostalgia for the franchise and the strange goodwill for Tom Cruise, the changing landscape has made Top Gun go from a property in 86, which seems like, the height of kind of like big budget idiocy to kind of like, Oh my God, they made a real movie and put it in theaters and I could go see it. And there's like beyond, I mean, we'll talk about the kind of stunt work and all that kind of stuff and the breathtaking cinematography and the really great new score and the Lady Gaga song and all of that. But what struck me so much on the first watch was how wholly earnest it was. And it like I think it knows that it's being a movie from 1986, but you don't feel it knowing that. Like it gives you exactly what you want, and it like there's no winking, turning to the camera. There's no quip that's downplaying the really cool thing you just saw. Instead, they're like, "Dude, Tom Cruise is so cool. How did he do that? He's so cool." Every single time, there's no one saying like, "Did he just do that?" It's all, he just did that. He's Tom Cruise. So that kind of earnestness now in 2022, which could have gone the other way, right? There could have been people who are like, literally, what is this thing? Like that kid who sees Tom Cruise after he crashes at the beginning and he walks into the diner and they're like, what is this bygone relic of a former era? That could have happened with the film. But I think that merging of the kind of modern cinematography with that earnest streak when we don't have too many big earnest movies um it just hits in a way that's so different it reminded me a lot of bradley cooper's 2018 film a star is born which i think does a similar thing another story that's been told so many times but here it's told at such a high scale with such earnestness that even though you know all the beats that are coming you kind of can't help yourself but falling in love with the film Eric, how did you, did you get to, I, I did not get to see the movie in IMAX, which I regret. Oh, I did. It was awesome. I saw, yeah. Okay. So I saw it in, in a regular theater twice. Um, for me, I think like the starting point for this is the incredible realism, which is because most of it is real and shot practically inside of planes and, you know, give, give Joseph Kaczynski like, lots of awards give whoever is credited as cinematographer all the plaudits because this is just i mean it really is innovative um th there is a to me there was just this visceral feeling and you feel kind of like the stakes of it mm -hmm. um you feel the danger you know <laughs> like as they're as they're going through this because you know that those actors were actually in planes i guess they were not flying them they were vaccinating in f-18s but um to me, that was just so cool. And honestly, seeing it a second time, like it was still there. Like I knew what was going to happen, but I still felt that the sound in the theaters was, you know, kind of turned all the way up. Um, and even in a non-IMAX experience, it was awesome. 
Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, now I'm seeing how I'm jealous. I don't know if you saw it in IMAX and non-IMAX. I hope the answer isn't that like I'll never, you know, be able to relive what you did. <laughs> um, but it, it would, as far as like movie going experiences, you know, that that's pretty much like as good as it gets, right? When you think about just the theater experience. And I mean, there's a reason why Tom Cruise filled, <laughs> had that weird intro where he's like basically like, Oh. Thanks for coming to the movie theater, and you know, like, yeah. kind of, kind of is a little weird, but it's also like, yeah, that that you're right, Tom. We're we're glad we're here. Yeah, absolutely. I was glad I was there, and like, I went into it thinking, I want to enter this world, and as you said, on like the second watch, I obviously like didn't watch it on as big of a screen. I was still in that world. Like I didn't need to do the artificial thing of inserting myself into this world by being in a massive IMAX theater and having the sound on top of me and the screen on top. Like I didn't need to do that. But the fact that I did that, like you just couldn't escape all of those things that you already said. Like just, you felt felt is like the best word I can say is like, you felt everything in it. Like you actually felt all of that. And uh, I do, I do like your point about how, there wasn't like uh like the snarkiness or like the nods to oh yeah it is actually like 2020 and this is ridiculous because like it's real it's a tough needle to thread because we're talking about planes going Mach 30 or however many mocks they were trying to get in that insane plane uh at the start of it. But when Tom Cruise crashes it, if you went into a diner and some random man out of a plane crash walked in the diner everyone is grabbing their phone and filming this lunatic that just walked in. And like that scene, that didn't happen. Like everyone's just like, Oh, what, what is this random human doing here? And again, like JJ said, it's so earnest. Like Mm -hmm. it is literally just, you are, we're all humans. Like the, I'm trying to think the smartphone usage in this film is what maybe text between Iceman and Maverick. Like, is that it? Mm -hmm. All those texts. He gets punished for putting his phone on the bar, right? Or at the when when yeah. by the round, right? Like literally, it's literally rebuking the the idea, the, idea <laughs> the, the entire idea that we somehow have escaped to 2020 did not happen. No, you are still in 1986, and yeah, I'm the I. I it's not world building necessarily, but like the world is alive and real and you're in the middle of it and you can't escape it. Like you are in Top Gun world, whatever that world is, you live in it and you cannot escape it throughout that movie. It, it's a movie that I think will, I think it will age well because a, the practical effects, like I, I'm not worried that like five other movies are going to come out doing exactly what they did with the practical effects, flying planes and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's just not practical, right? I think the biggest question is like, w- are they going to make a sequel? Which I don't know. We can talk about that later. I'm kind of torn whether I would even want them to try, given how good this one was, and and just given where where Cruise is. But um, but I I think you know the, the there are a lot of parts about this movie that I, that I really loved. Um, I, I think one thing that I really liked was we talked a little bit about you know JJ about the nostalgia, like it comes out and you know literally as you said it's the intro is like shot for shot the same theme basically you know same theme from the original movie um and i thought like it it traded in sort of the nostalgia for the original film in really kind of like tasteful ways and it was able to strike the balance of the callbacks to 
things that you liked from the first one in ways that didn't feel it didn't i mean like i don't want to say it didn't feel predictable but it 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 felt right and i think probably the most obvious kind of aspects of that are first off the val kilmer storyline right the mm -hmm. ice storyline um which i i think i think when i when i think about this movie i think one of the things i really like about two is how tom cruise is not the same maverick that he was 36 years ago or whatever right he's been humbled he he has I don't want to say failed, but he has not progressed. Iceman's like whatever, Admiral of, you know, freaking the Pacific Fleet or wherever he is. You know, um, all these people have kind of passed him by. You know, he gets thrown out of the bar. He doesn't try to pull rank. Like he gets his ass kicked like by the the new guys right before they know who he is. And he kind of takes it. And, um, and I thought that was sort of refreshing because Tom Cruise is older and he's not the same guy he was. And I thought it was just, you know, Val Kilmer, obviously with his real life health problems, like it, it's a little interesting, right? Because it's sort of like, you have these moments where it's like, you know, how much of this is, you know, I mean, Val Kilmer is alive, but, um, <laughs> but like how much of this is, is true to the real, the real story of, of what's happened with him and his health problems. And I think for me, that kind of made it, you know, more special, the fact that it was not easy for Val Kilmer to, to just to be in this movie. And mm -hmm. I just thought they struck, they struck those sort of nostalgic notes really well. And, um, you know, even kind of the smallest things like the Penny character being a person that is referenced in the first movie, which again, like if you didn't know that it wouldn't matter, but it's kind of a fun callback being like the, the Admiral's daughter or whatever that gets the motorcycle ride that gets Maverick in trouble in, in the first movie. And so it, it kind of builds. And I, and I just like that, you know, it wasn't like he's meeting some random new woman that he doesn't know. Um, it it felt like there was like a genuine kind of relationship and it made it a lot easier to think to buy into that part of the story as well. And then of course the, the biggest one is you know the Maverick Rooster relationship and you know everything about him being the son of Goose. And um I, I just thought they kind of balanced sort of like the dramatic elements very well. And again, was it you know shocking kind of the way things happen you know i mean yeah i think we all know <laughs> rooster and maverick are going to be in that final group uh as soon as you learn the plot of the movie but um i thought it was just like again just really kind of cleanly architected and i mean we're kind of spoiled right now like i don't know i mean anytime i hear christopher mccrory is involved with tom cruise and anything i just assume it's going to be really really good he's been you know the two of them have basically been the driving force of the mission impossible movies and they've paired up a ton over the past decade plus and it just feels like, again, they just kind of nailed the bones of the plot and basically just provided the space to to let Tom Cruise be the movie star he is, and then let all these other supporting characters really have enough room to to kind of be co-stars and not just, you know, be blinded by the the star power of Tom Cruise, right? It was not about Tom Cruise being cooler, better, faster than everyone, maybe a better pilot than everyone. But other than that, he kind of like was able to step back and, and whether it was Val Kilmer or Jennifer Connelly, like they were awesome. And they, they, they were such good parts of this movie and it kind of just really rounded everything out for me. Yeah. And kind of going back to, it's not only like the earnestness that I was talking about. There's like, this movie just knows what it is and it is confident to be that movie at every point. Like it's not a movie too, that is absent kind of real world 
kind of meta textual kind of things, right? The Val Kilmer stuff, most obviously, but I mean, Cruz's character kind of kicked to the side doing it his old way because that's what he does. That's literally what he's doing with making Top Gun Maverick and making the Mission Impossible movies with that fidelity to kind of like real stunt work, all that kind of stuff is going against kind of, um, yeah, the norm that has kind of taken hold in the film industry. And I mean, another huge part of it, something we haven't talked about in relation to this at least, but another huge part of, I think, Maverick's success is it has been kind of the non-Marvel film to break through at the box office after the pandemic and thinking in terms of like Marvel's biggest, and I don't want to talk about Marvel too much, but thinking in terms of Marvel's big breakthrough, which is, I don't even remember the titles of these anymore. Spider-Man, whatever it was. Home, they're, something home. Spider-Man, they're all here and home. home. No man, no way home. One of those. Yeah. Um, but those movies have taken such a kind of reflexive turn, not only the winkiness, but like the allusions to this is part of this bigger comic story world. And maybe, you know, this from the comics and winking and look, the old friends, the other Spider-Men, you know, are here. And I think for me, at least that reflexiveness has started to feel like a self-consciousness, like, oh, we did Endgame and we don't know what to do now. So we're going to make a joke about it, but just trust us, we're going to work this out. And this movie, there is just none of that kind of self-consciousness. Like, it is very knowing. It knows what it's doing. It, I mean, John Hamm in particular in this movie is playing like stock a-hole character to a T, but he is very much a stock character. But he delivers it with that kind of like, I'm going to do the stock character thing as good as you can do the stock character thing. Um, Glenn Powell, right? Another stock a-hole. There's a lot of stock a-holes in this movie, but he's doing the stock a-hole thing. And he's, again, committing to it with a kind of grin that you need to pull that off without making any reference to like, am I being the a-hole here or whatever they would say in a Marvel movie? No, he's just being that person and he gets put in his place and he has his hero moment and he's still an a-hole. <laughs> but there's just that, like, this movie, and McQuarrie is, I think, a huge, huge part of that. Um, both of his Mission Impossible films have been wonderful, the the two that he's directed, but they just know what they have at this point, and you can feel them relishing and giving it to you, that even in the moment, even someone like me, I'm not thinking of, oh my god, Cruz is making an argument for the power of the movies, which is all he wants to do now. Um you just feel he's making a movie. He's making a real movie. And for me too, I mean, this was the first huge blockbuster experience in terms of like, I did not see Spider-Man the week it came out um, for many reasons, <laughs> but this was the first like big blockbuster that felt like, Oh, everyone else is having this experience with me. And we are all doing something that is so special in this kind of room. And Cruz, of course, does have the video, like you mentioned, at the start, letting you know how special it is. By the way, where did you see this movie, Frank? You said you didn't see it on an IMAX, but what chain? I saw it at a Regal. Okay, and Eric, where did you see it? Um, it was, I guess it would have been uh, Majestic, I think. Okay. Yeah. I saw it at an AMC, so I had the pleasure of having Nicole Kidman give her speech about the power of movies directly before Tom Cruise came on screen and gave his speech about the power of movies. And it was like, mom and dad are back together again. 
movies are saved. Everything is here. This is true. Big movie, big screen. Heartbreak does feel good in a place like this. Like all of that stuff. It just felt like a reminder of even someone like me who this is my job. This is what I do. This is what I spend all my time thinking about. This is what I have for better or worse spent th- 31 years in. This is where I'm at. This is what I follow. Um, I think you, you, did you go for eyes wide, an eyes wide shut viewing like right after this, just oh. like in that. <laughs> Speaking um, of, I actually, so on blank check right now, we are covering the Kubrick films. Um, blank check. If you don't know, by the way, quick plug, not that whatever. Um, Blake Check is a podcast where we cover the filmographies of directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion project they want. Sometimes they clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. Eyes Wide Shut, a huge bounce at the end of Kubrick's career. Um, And I just finished researching that earlier today. So if you want to know anything about Kidman and Cruz, I have that either on mic or off. But um, by the yeah. way, the Blank Check podcast is a far more popular podcast than this podcast. It is it is a big deal in 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 the world of uh, of movie junkies. So it's it's really cool, JJ. That I, I I didn't know about it, and I don't look, really watch or listen to movie podcasts. But because mm-hmm. obviously you got involved with it, I've been you know kind of picking and choosing movies that I like listening to the pod, and it's it's really really cool. Also, um, I I I like it was so weird when I made the connection that Griffin. Um, was was in the Tick, which I enjoyed. Yeah, with, uh, and he, uh, I forget the character he played. But, Arthur. Yeah, but then I like I hear his voice. And I'm just like, oh yeah, okay. But anyway, yeah. Um, so, so initially, I I went to Dune in a mask. Like I like I was still like uh, pandemic adjacent. I mean, we're still pandemic adjacent. Like, let me be very clear, we are still pandemic adjacent. But like that was like even more so where like I walked into an IMAX, like an AMC IMAX, like full thing with the mask on. And I thought Dune was going to be that one, right? Like I thought that was gonna be like, you got to see this Villeneuve on the biggest screen possible. It's Dune. It's world built. Like you got to go see it. And like the amount of people that went to go see the theater just didn't exist. And in my head, like it did feel like, this was the movie that we all needed at this time in the world. It was summer and like the first summer that yes, there were a hundred thousand people outside of Pfizer forum uh, for game six. So maybe this isn't the best, best podcast to make this example, but like this past summer was when everyone finally decided to go outside. Like the summer of 2022, everyone could do things. The world was opening back up and what better way to spend a hot, sticky summer <laughs> afternoon than avoiding the sun and going inside to AC in this massive movie and just sitting there and eating popcorn and having a good time. And like, it feels like the world came together to give us Top Gun Maverick. Like, it, it, I don't if it obviously this is a summer movie, but if it would have hit in the summer of 2021, it wouldn't have been this big. If it hits in the summer of 2023, it does not hit this big. Like it needed to be this summer. And we all needed this movie at this time to get this because I saw it on as big of a screen as I could possibly see it. And two days later, you know what most of my friends had done seen it on as big of a screen as they could possibly see it. Like that was just what, what happened. And if they didn't do it that week, they did it the next week or the week after, or they went back for a second time, three weeks later, all like you just kept hearing people 
no matter like if it's older friends, if it's my dad and some of his friends, like whatever, everyone went to go see it. And it just feels like it was the movie we all needed. Yeah, they made a four quadrant picture. They can still do that. They did that. But I mean, again, bringing it back to Dune, I mean, that's another example of, again, God, the people who don't like Tom Cruise probably turned this off, but they're making it here and hearing what I'm about to say and say that this is a good thing that Tom Cruise did. Uh oh. But Dune's a good example of Warner Brothers freaking out in the pandemic. ATT, their then corporate overlords, deciding we need to pump up Max. That's our new kind of model. Dune will go to theaters, but we're putting on Max as well. And I watched Dune on HBO Max. That's what I did. Whereas Cruise, on the other hand, is at Paramount, who does have a streaming service, but I think it's only Kevin Costner TV shows. Um, and Jackass Forever, which is and, really and RuPaul's Drag Race is, True. is some, some of RuPaul's Drag Race is on Paramount as well. So shout out to them for that. I think all of Bar Rescue is on Paramount Plus, but um, uh, Kroll Show. I think Kroll Show, Eric, is on, uh, is on Paramount okay. Plus as well. Okay. So if you need any Bobby Bottle Service sketches, yes. Yeah. Noted. Anyway, uh, um, I'll ask. Plus. I'll ask you for the password. <laughs> but um, Cruise, on the other hand, has Paramount um, and has essentially taken them hostage at this point because <laughs> the two upcoming Mission Impossible films not only because of his kind of big screen dreams, but Cruz's kind of concern over COVID and commitment to having a safe set that will probably still result in his death at some point. Um, those budgets have ballooned to the point where it's like, before Top Gun Maverick came out, people were wondering, does Paramount survive this? Like, does Param can Paramount, these because the Mission Impossible movies don't make Top Gun money. They tap out at like seven hundred million dollars, um, and yeah, I don't I don't know where the budget's at, but it's gonna be over <laughs> five hundred million dollars for those two movies alone, um, <laughs> which is so crazy. But because of that kind of investment they have in Cruise and they have in Cruise's future, it did get that big huge rollout. There was no thought of will Top Gun Maverick. Because this movie's been in the can for a while. I mean, Joseph Kaczynski had a movie come out like a month later on Netflix because Top Gun Maverick's been done. But they they waited. They did the thing Warners wouldn't do with Tenet, which could have been a movie potentially that would have taken people back to the theaters. It's Christopher Nolan. It's Robert Pattinson. It's John David Washington on a huge screen. They blew up an actual plane in that movie. It's pretty cool. Um <laughs> But Warners didn't have the patience and put it out early in the pandemic and people weren't going to go. But Paramount, because they had been taken hostage by this insane madman who we all love <laughs> on screen and sometimes off, like right now, they had to put it on the big screen and they got the moment that a lot of people have been waiting for since the pandemic first hit. Not that that's the only thing I was waiting for. Like, when will a movie make money? Everyone's dying, but when will a movie finally make money starring Tom Cruise? But um, <laughs> they had the patience and they, they pulled it off. Um, well, let me, let me, maybe one, one or two final questions on, on Top Gun. And then maybe we talk about it, some, some other stuff that, that we've been watching that we, we think others should know about. Um, so obviously this is, I mean, fundamentally it, it will, I mean, every Tom Cruise movie at this point is a, you know, Tom Cruise set piece basically. Um, I, I, like I was saying earlier, I think what I appreciate about this is even though, you know, there's the requisite 
Tom Cruise kicking everyone's ass, um, you know, being the best pilot around uh, scenes in this movie. And, and he is still the, the you know, clear star of everything. Um, I, I thought he does give room to a, a really good ensemble cast. Outside of Cruise, who who did you guys think was just sort of like the, the, the most compelling character, whatever, this is a basketball podcast, the MVP, the non the non-Tom Cruise MVP uh of of this movie. Who else really stood out to you um from from the cast? Oh, okay, I'll go first. I'll take him. I was gonna leave him on the board in case this was who Eric was going to say, but for me it's Glenn Powell who I have liked for a while. I loved in Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater baseball kind of film. So sports, we're bringing it back. Uh, and I've been waiting for him to have that project. I mean, set it up, the rom-com on Netflix, like used his charm, but there's only so high a rom-com on Netflix can reach into kind of the <laughs> culture. Um, and here he's just like, Again, we said it earlier, the kind of smirk, the grin he has, like he is fully embodying that role. And when it's time to play a version of football I've never seen played before, <laughs> he is ready to play. He's got the shirt off and he's ready to go. He looks great. He looks great. Incredible. Whatever substances were used to do that, get him on the market. <laughs> Um, I would go Miles Teller. And I think part of it is with Miles Teller, it's it's another one of those instances where you're kind of winking at real life, right? Like uh there is plenty of stories about Miles Teller just being an asshole. Like mm -hmm. that's just that's just a thing that exists with Miles Teller. And uh, I I'm not gonna pretend to know all of the stories, but he's just an asshole. And Miles Teller gained to play a bit of an asshole. Uh not not totally unbelievable. I, I believed a whole lot of it. And he kind of gets the space to live in that asshole. But then all of a sudden he's redeemable and mm -hmm. you get like the arc of him kind of figuring those things out and you get to learn more about why he was that way. And you already knew because as Frank said, like the other stories weaved in pretty well, but you get to experience kind of that it's not like a full character arc, but like there's some growth and development. And I don't know. I just, I thought, I thought the miles teller scenes were all, I, I just loved them all. And again, I think there's like, because there's like a level of believability to me being think me thinking like miles teller is a bit of an asshole. Yeah, that works. It, it's funny. Cause Glenn, Hang Glenn, Glenn Powell's hangman character is like, so clearly cut from the same Iceman cloth, you know, that, mm -hmm his assholishness just sort of like blocks out the sun of any other assholish behavior that like, I never even, I never like, I wouldn't have like thought of, of rooster that way in, in this movie, but obviously like, I mean, he is very frosty to, towards Maverick for the vast majority of the movie. And, you know, with, with, with some good reason, although he doesn't understand, I think some of the rationale, which, you know, comes out sort of as, as the movie goes on. Um, I will, I'll put my money behind Jennifer Connelly um, because I mean, A, like I, it's just like, she's, you know, aging better than any human possibly should. Like having her and Tom Cruise in the same movie is, is like, yeah, it makes sense. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I thought, um, I thought one of the really parts of one of the really interesting parts of this movie is, I mean, for a long time, maybe forever, there has been 
a challenge with Tom Cruise and sort of like romantic storylines and the believability of those and just, you know, things just not working in, in a lot, even in movies that are great. Um, like I think Mission Impossible basically has succeeded in part because they just have sort of like abstracted away his sexuality <laughs> because it's like, oh, well, he, he, he was married and then his wife had to go into hiding. So, you know, he just can't, he's just kind of, you know, doing his thing and is he, you know, kind of falling for, you know, maybe, but, you know, um, like the Rebecca Ferguson character is awesome in, in the uh, Mission Impossible movies, but it's always sort of like that weird restrained thing. Um, and I thought the fact that like they made me actually like buy the relationship, I think setting it up as like, oh, they used to date. So it's not like he has to like woo her, you know, from zero in, in this movie. And I thought just like, I mean, she's like kind of like in control for in this mm -hmm. relationship for most of the movie, which I thought just, I just thought it worked really well because a she's like an incredible actress and just like makes it believable. And secondly, again, I think it's part of that storyline of Maverick is not like the brash, like, you know, going to the bar and, you know, woo all the chicks type guy anymore. Like he's kind of, he's an old, he's an older guy now. And so I think it's a much more, you know, <laughs> mature storyline. Um, and again, like, you know, whatever are there still like is is the the one makeout scene like a little awkward like i don't know maybe whatever but, <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's kind of done in a fairly pg way right kind of like you know parents dating so, sort of way um but i thought she was just awesome and you know she's not relegated to which you know, give the first movie credit as well right like kelly the kelly mcgillis character is not just some like wallflower character right i mean she's like smarter than Tom Cruise's character probably, like, you know, like she had like the power dynamic I thought was interesting in that movie. Um, and in this one as well, um, I just thought Jennifer Connell's character was great. And just again, gave it sort of like that romantic storyline that I actually looked forward to, to seeing those parts of the movie because she's so great. And you just like, you know, she's like the kind of person you just want to watch in, in a movie theater. Um, and she's got an awesome boat and an awesome car. So that helps. Um, how much is that house worth? That house has to be worth so much money. What is that bar? How much money is that bar making? Well, you know, people, I can hear people say this, but like her, her dad's like some admiral who apparently is like, you know, probably lived there for 40 years or something. Like, you know, whatever. He bought it when it was cheap and passed it down or something like that. Plus, isn't isn't her husband like some rich guy, her ex-husband, some rich guy who lives in Hawaii now? Like, whatever. She's she's fine. You know, she's she's sensible. Great sailor. Like the 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 her teaching him how to sail thing, I thought was good as well because it was some nice parallelism. Then when he's you know Tom Cruise, you know, takes her in this what is it a P fifty one at the end of the movie that he actually owns in real life, and he takes her up in that plane and flies around and does all sorts of crap that is typical Tom Cruise. So. Yeah, shout out to Jennifer Connelly. Um, she still got it. Um, we'll say that. Uh, one more question. Um, is there any chance that Tom Cruise passes away of old age? Or is it literally just movie to movie? Like, I, it's weird. On some level, for like my favorite action star slash movie star, like on some level, it's weird to say this, but I'd almost be disappointed if he didn't have just some spectacular end. Because I feel like on some level, like he's, kind of like you almost would want that. I don't know. It's very, it's very strange. And if people didn't see, he did this stunt for promoting X Mission Impossible movie where he's literally like hanging onto the outside of a, of a, of a biplane talking about the movie to a camera on another plane. 
and then they do this like barrel roll thing and like it looks like he's about to fall out of this this plane he he's he's a lunatic um does does tom cruise make it past 2023 is is my initial question here what do we think what are what are the what are the overall odds on tom cruise's lifespan at this point look right now tom cruise has three movies in production they're the two mission impossibles which i just saw i can't remember where i saw it so sorry i don't have the citation um but there's that scene in or the shot at the end of that first dead mission impossible dead reckoning trailer where he's jumping the motorcycle off of the cliff and I saw that was done on the first day of the shoot, and he did it eight times on day one alone. <laughs> so the other movie, Beyond the Two Mission Impossible. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they basically decided that he did all this prep work, trained for months to do this, but which basically, I mean, you can. There's a feature ad on it, right? He mm -hmm. he, he rides this motorcycle up this huge like ramp, like it's an evil Knievel thing, like flies this thing into like a gorge, and then has a parachute that he deploys way later than he seemingly should to you know not die. And I believe they, as you said, JJ, they shot, they did this on the first day of shooting, basically because if he dies, then at least they can just go home and not spend the money on the rest of the movie, right? I mean, that's basically why they did it from where they gather, which, you know, hey, it's one way to go through life. And if you're shooting the movie, you can't train for this stunt that <laughs> to right. really right. kill you that you're going to do eight times. Um, the only other movie beyond the two Mission Impossible's he has in production right now in the pipeline is an untitled SpaceX film directed by Doug Lyman. So if Earth can't do it, there's a chance that space will do it. But I don't know. I mean, if he doesn't die from these three films, um, and I do feel I'm, feel I'm feeling the karma coming my way, but it's Tom Cruise, whatever. Um, if he doesn't die from these three films, I'm so curious where he actually does go because. At some point, even Tom Cruise has to age and slow down a bit. And I think in those Jennifer Connelly scenes you did bring up, you do see a Cruise you have not seen before. Not only a convincing romantic partner, but a relaxed Tom Cruise who's kind of easing into a relationship. And I would be super curious about a turn back into like Cruise as serious dramatic actor, but... At the same time, if he doesn't die from these three movies, there's the chance that he's like, like where does he go after space? What do you do after you go to outer space? I don't know. Does he come back? Yeah, I guess maybe he's like Cameron and he goes down. James Cameron. I was going to say bottom of the ocean. Yeah. 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 Um, Doug Lyman, director of Edge of Tomorrow, mm -hmm. slash I repeat, oh. I know a favorite of, of ours, 2014. Um, that, that movie is definitely one that falls into the um, more like, awkward tom cruise love interest like art is is this a love love interest story or not like i still don't know if that actually was supposed to be a thing uh in that film but an awesome film one i would i would argue that is one of the best non-franchise non you know like original ip uh movies especially action movies of like whatever the past decade that was an mm -hmm. awesome movie yeah. Went a little under the radar, but I feel like everybody who's seen it really likes it. If you haven't seen it, Edge of Tomorrow, great sci-fi movie uh, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Uh, really interesting plot, conceit for the film. Um, and uh, yeah, just really, really, really cool. There, I know there's been talk about a, a potential sequel for a long time, but it doesn't seem like that's, that's actually in the works. Um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time here, at least at the end, um, to give some room JJ, I think last time, you know, we we kind of let you talk a little bit about other films that you thought in the past, whatever, use any time frame you want, year, whatever, um, kind of like really stand out to you. 
again, whether they're Oscar buzz movies or not, uh, just movies that you think people should should be aware of for your consideration uh, from J.J. Burge. Any other movies outside of, you know, the the, <laughs> the Tom Cruise IMDb page uh, that, that you think folks should be aware of? Yeah, I want to give, okay, so this is not the best movie I've seen over the past year. It's probably not even one of the eight or nine best, but it's garbage. It's a terrible film. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so sorry to Michelangelo from Artino for what I'm about to say about his uh, film Il Buco, which I believe translates from Italian to the whole, but um, it weirdly lines up with Tom Cruise in a way that's super interesting. So this is a movie. It's a, fictional historical fiction movie that is like essentially two movies combined. It is like a classic kind of art film of a man in a like beautiful kind of countryside slowly dying with all that kind of excruciating classic European art cinema flair. But then the other half is this story of a group of speleologists who in August, 1961 went to the Calabrian plateau in um, Italy to explore a hole. And what they ended up discovering- Can you repeat what what kind of ologists are they? Speleologists? I think that just means they're spelunkers, but they have a degree. (laughs) Every day. Right. Filmologist here, so. um, Love stalactites and stalagmites. Yeah, and what they end up discovering was, I think, the, one of the three deepest caves in the world at that point. And what this film does is for that half, they are recreating that journey down into that hole using equipment of the era and only using like their shots. And this is a great one if you can somehow catch it in theaters, but there are shots of just like the 1961 style headlamp is the only lighting you are getting inside of this cave 650 feet down into the earth so that little movement of the light it's like it's it's so strange because it is very much a european art film but then it is like aside from tom cruise and like the jackass guys it is the most striking stunt work i've seen in a movie and i don't know how long a super long time and it's called the hole and il buco is really fun to say that it also, I think, probably a lot of similarities to anyone who was a fan of the 2011 2012 Milwaukee Bucks. The same time we have this. Can it go? Shout out. Was Corey McGetty still on the team in that year? I don't know. Maybe it was only the year before, but uh, okay. But that Il Buco, the hole. You heard it the here. Hole. Take, it, take it to the hole. Hashtag take, take it to the Buco. Take it to the buco. <laughs> All right, what else do you got for us, Jade? Any others that, that really jumped to mind? Um, I mean, I liked a lot of the movies that were acclaimed last year. I loved Drive My Car. I loved Licorice Pizza. Um, I loved The Beatles Get Back. Were you guys into The Beatles Get Back? I don't no, know. I'm, I'm not a big Beatles fan, although I did make a Beatles Paul McCartney reference at the beginning of this podcast. Um, I'm actually not. I respect The Beatles. I do not really go out of my way to listen to their music. Eric, do you like the Beatles? Uh, they're fine. Wow. Okay. All right. Close window. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> if you guys like the Beatles and you haven't watched Get Back, check it out. It's fun hanging out with those lads. It's a blast. What what a cool group of people. Um, 
otherwise i'm trying to my favorite movie of this year is a movie called memoria have either of you heard of this movie mm. so memoria is the latest film from i always forget if he's i always forget where he's from so let me confirm where he is from before i say it wrong new uh, jersey new jersey yes <laughs> um Thai director there we go, named a Pitchapong <laughs> Wurisepakun, um, better known as Joe, I think, in kind of film circles stateside. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he directed a movie, if you've heard of him at all, he directed this movie called Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives, which won the Palm Door and like, which is the big uh, basketball podcast. It's a big uh, award given out at the Cannes Film Festival each year. Um, Memoria stars Tilda Swinton, who people may know from Doctor Strange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. But um, this is the other movie. I mean, really, it's like Top Gun Maverick, Il Buco, and <laughs> Memoria are the movies I'm so glad I saw in a theater this year because it is a really, really, really quiet movie that like in the same way that Top Gun recalibrates your senses and hits you with this like maximum thrill where you can't possibly think about anything else besides this jet plane that you are flying in right now. And oh my God, the whatever generation fighters are coming after us from some unnamed country. Um, Memoria is a movie that is not really full of plot, but is so patient and complicated in its terms, like its storytelling and its soundscape that you will find yourself hearing like a little hiss of a radio turning on kind of in the back from that back speaker there. And it is the most exciting thing you could possibly hear. And um, probably a spoiler, but um, this is the first uh, art film I've seen in a long time that has a spaceship in it. So there's that for you. And I'm really sorry if you were somehow in the very small corner of Locked On Books and art film watchers that has not seen Memoria yet. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> pretend I did not say spaceship. Wow. The only people that uh, that resonated with, you just ruined the movie for. So oh, I'm so sorry. It's Snell season. If you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm really sorry. Sorry, Drake. Um, I, I'm trying to think. So I've been really bad once the pandemic hit, uh, like watching movies. Like it's just not something I've I've spent a lot of time doing because as I've said on this podcast before, I'm a big believer in like going to the mm -hmm. theater and especially with an NBA schedule. Um, you know, you got to find something to do during the middle of the day and you're going to be by yourself. So what are you going to do by yourself in the middle of the day? Like going to movies is something uh, that I would do. So uh, I typically pride myself on being able to see most of like the award fodder films in a given year and i've just totally failed for the last couple of years uh i did watch so uh, i went on vacation this summer over in europe on my way back on my flight in between like the garbage naps that you take on an like eight to nine hour flight um i watched everything everywhere all at once um which i gotta say i wish i didn't watch it on uh eight inch screen uh, in my lap it, right in front of me, because I think all of the, the surrealist ac aspects of the film would have been even more fun on a big screen. But then there's another part of me that thinks that may have been the perfect state to watch that film that like in between naps, it's eight inches right in front of me. Uh, it, and may, like, maybe there's the guy next to me 
in 8a a, like what the what did what was that was that do those people have hot dog fingers what like what what was that thing um so i ended up enjoying it a lot i know jj doesn't like this film i can't um, talk about this film publicly bad <laughs> things happen to me when i do it <laughs> i'm not going to get canceled for talking about the bugs great uh so i i really enjoyed it um i when i saw jj and we talked about this film uh when we randomly ran into each other in milwaukee a couple weeks back um i told him that i was surprised that with all of the insanely surreal aspects of this film uh the emotional roller coaster it can take you on from like as low as you could possibly go to feeling an uplifting ending to then getting taken back down to like it's sort of uplifting but not like oh my god i love the world after after the end of it like you just go on this roller coaster and i really i was like surprised that as all this weird shit was happening in literally every shot by the end of it i was like oh that's really heartfelt i enjoyed that like like that that hit me in the emotional places that that need to hit me so um that would be my one recommendation all right, I, I'm gonna go um, since we talk a lot about movies. I I have to say I I have not, especially I mean JJ, you know, watching movies in the theaters when you have kids is obviously really difficult. Um, yep. Do you, Do you normally just go by yourself to see movies because it's hard to do date night movies when you have a kid? Or oh, you... yeah, I mean I go with friends, but no, I haven't seen a movie with my wife in a very long time. <laughs> in fact, she has plans to see a movie tomorrow night without me, and then I will on. Uh, Saturday, be seeing a movie without her. There you go. You live your own separate lives. We watch um, Bluey together. There you go, Bluey. A great, a great uh, TV show for kids, and it's Australian. So um, Kane was not aware of it. Wow. Um, and my my favorite, uh, I guess, story when my daughter first started watching Bluey, um, which is a it's on Disney Plus animated show about this family of of dogs. Um, I, I was trying to explain to her that the reason that they talk the way they do is because they're from Australia. And my daughter now is aware of, has become aware of Australia because not only have I told her about the existence of my friend Kane who lives in Australia, but also my wife, uh, her job actually for reasons I won't get into, but she works with people based in Australia. So she'll often have calls at night with people in Australia. And so my wife has also explained to her that, you know, it's a country that's very far away, et cetera. And the, but the first time I tried to explain, you know, why they talked, I was like, Oh, it's because they're Australian. And then she just kind of looked at me and was just like, it's because they're dogs. And I was like, we'll just wait, you know, we'll just wait, we'll just wait out. Um, the, the accent discussion a little bit longer. And she gets it, but anyway, um, <laughs> A couple shows. I'll talk about TV shows instead because I, I I watch all shows basically. Um, some shows from the past year that that I've I think are at least notable. I don't again. I don't know that I'd say these are like the the absolute best absolute best shows um, out there, but just some that I, I think deserve to be called out. Um, I think if you're going to watch, you know, comic book stuff, I think The Boys on uh, Amazon to me is the the most interesting uh, of of all the kind of comic book IP type shows. A because it's kind of cool that it's not you know a Marvel or, or DC comic show. It's um, I don't even know where, where who publishes the boys, but it's you know more of an offbeat kind of thing, and it's 
it's hyper violent. There's lots of swearing, um, but it is, uh, you know, basically the conceit of the show is what if all the superheroes were essentially corporate shills who were really jerks and not good people and actually kind of the enemies. Um, so it is a very interesting show in that regard. And I, I just have to say, um, Anthony Starr, who's, uh, a, he's actually a Kiwi, but he plays a character called Homelander, who is essentially like a Superman type, you know, character can fly, shoot lasers from his eyes is basically indestructible. He's sort of the leader of these, this sort of corporate, um, uh, you know, profit machine of, of, of superheroes. He's amazing. Uh, spoiler alert. He's a villain. Um, and he's just incredible. Uh, especially as the show runs on, uh, his character, I would say is used for very amusing political commentary as well. Um, but he's just great. Like I'm, I'm surprised he, he, to me should get like, you know, award buzz, but unfortunately that hasn't really happened, but he's awesome. And it's just a really, really cool show and just very different from, from typical kind of comic book superhero type stuff. Um, other shows, Station Eleven uh, on HBO Max miniseries. Uh, I was disappointed it, it did not do much at the Emmys. I, I know it was nominated for a bunch of things. Patrick Somerville, who's actually, I believe his like grandfather or something, like designed Lambeau Field. He's a Packer fan. His, his family has Wisconsin ties. Um, so shout out to him for that. But he's the showrunner and he previously wrote for uh, a bunch of things, including leftovers, uh, which is a show that, that I loved on HBO. And it has certainly aspects of that feel in this show. It's, I think it's eight or nine episodes, but it's just one season. Uh, and basically the premise is it's about what happens when there is a glow. It's based on a book that was written before the actual pandemic, but it's basically the premise. What if there's a pandemic that sort of, wipes out much of society, takes us back to sort of a simpler time. We don't have cell phones, all this stuff. And it sort of tells the story of that event happening and sort of the aftermath in kind of many years later. And I, I sort of got into it because I thought like, oh, this is going to be like a science fiction type show. And the first half of the season honestly can like kind of drag a little bit, but it's just a really interesting story about sort of how humanity would react to this type of event. And the last two episodes in particular um, are amazing. I think I cried more in those last two episodes than I have in a very long time of watching um, TV shows. And, and not just because of like sad stuff happening, but just because of just beautiful things happening on, on my TV screen and just the payoff of relationships that are built throughout this, uh, throughout this show and the journey of that. And it's just, just kind of different from, from anything else I've, I've seen on TV. Uh, Himesh Patel uh, is awesome in it, uh, among among a number of other people. So Station Eleven, again, I I think it's an awesome an awesome show. Uh, HBO Max um, for All Mankind is a show that um, I would not say is an award fodder show so much. Uh, it was part of the initial kind of Apple TV uh, lineup when Apple TV Plus or whatever the heck we call Apple's premium service. Sure. launched and it kind of has gone under the radar to a large extent even though it's a very big budget uh sort of alternate history sci-fi show essentially the premise is what would have happened if the russians had landed on the moon first and how would america have reacted differently and what would have happened and so essentially the first few seasons sort of track different eras of this kind of alternate space race 
um, big ensemble cast, including uh, Joel Shinneman. Sorry, I say Shinneman because I have a Swedish friend who told me once that his last name, because he's half Swedish, would be pronounced Shinneman. Um, so now I always want to say Shinneman whenever I see his name, but Kinneman, whatever. Um, he's that in a, that. That really took me back. Right? That was definitely. Like, like you you obsessing over pronunciations we're back i love yeah that. we're back um just a really great show and and honestly the especially the the la the the finale episodes of season one and season two are incredible television um just huge payoffs uh they have a bunch of plot lines with different characters and stuff like that each season and sometimes like you know it's like okay where is this really going but the first two seasons just especially the finales were awesome. I enjoyed season three, which came out not long ago as well. So again, if you like space stuff, sci-fi stuff, um, it's, it's fun. And again, there's three seasons. So it's kind of a manageable um, number. Um, two other shows while we're talking about great finales, um, Severance uh, also on Apple TV plus. Um, it, it's funny the, the these last two shows I'll mention, <laughs> I was a big Lost fan back in the day. That was sort of like one of the first shows that I kind of really obsessed over, even though I was in my like mid twenties. So it's not like I was like a kid when Lost was out, but I, I love Lost. I still feel like I still have very positive feelings, even though the ending, a lot of people kind of grasp over how, how the show ended. But, um, but I, the last two shows, I feel like there are sort of Lostian elements and a lot of anytime I, I watch a show and I feel like, Oh, it's almost like Lost with this. And usually it's because there's sort of like some central mystery to a show and severance which is you know this I, I won't give away too much but it basically is about these people who work in uh at a company and they have been quote unquote severed such that essentially their home lives and their work lives are completely separate when you're at home you don't know what you did during the day when you're at, at work you don't know what your home life is like etc and so i in my head my simplistic summary is uh lost meets uh, office space, which really isn't a good way to, to, to describe it because it's not really that funny, but there's there's sort of comedic sides to it. But um, but there's sort of this central mystery of like, what is going on? It's very unclear what they're doing um, at this company with these this job that they hold and why they had to be quote unquote severed to, to do this work. And the finale is really awesome in that it sort of unravels aspects of the central mystery to an extent. Um, but it's a really cool ensemble cast and Ben Stiller actually is kind of behind this. I think he directed the, uh, the finale among, I, he might've directed all the episodes if I remember correctly. Yeah. But, um, it's just a really cool show. And it has sort of a different feel can be maybe a little bit like claustrophobic and kind of paranoia inducing. So some people may not, uh, love it for that regard, but I think it's just a really well-made show. Um, and I can't wait to, to see kind of where they go with it. Um, really interesting catch. Uh, uh, Patricia Arquette, Christopher Walken, um, John Turturro, um, among among others. So definitely, and, and Adam Scott is the kind of the nominal main character. So some some uh, a really strong cast to go with it. And then the last show I'll mention um, is a show called Outer Range, which when it came out on Amazon, it looked like to me, I was like, wait, is this like a Yellowstone kind of like, is this, is this show kind of like trying to capitalize on sort of this like Yellowstone fascination that people are having, which again, I don't watch Yellowstone. So I, uh, um, doc, doc rivers, favorite show. Okay. So not great. What else have you been watching lately? What's that? 
Did you not see the Doc Rivers thing? Never mind. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> we're not recording, but Ooh. huge Costner fan. Huge Costner. The likes have been, the likes have been scrubbed. <laughs> all I will say. Um, but outer range, um, just a uh, uh, really interesting neo western kind of show takes place. I think it takes place in Montana um, about kind of these ranchers um, and. Uh, it's just a, a, a really, I, I heard someone, um, someone describe it to me as like a, a slow burn show, but and it's kind of one of these shows that again, sort of that neo-Western sort of thing. Like it's, you know, there's a lot of like quiet moments <laughs> in the show, if you will. Um, Josh Brolin is kind of the main character. He's, you know, very good playing Josh Brolin, basically like an, yeah. like, you know, older Josh Brolin essentially is, is, he's is who he's playing. Um, so that's like a very good start, I would say, for any any movie like this. But there is then a sort of central um, mystery sci-fi component to to this show. Um, and again, just a really good ensemble cast. Um, Tom Pelfrey, who um, I just finished Ozark, actually. Tom Pelfrey, who plays um, Laura Linney's brother in season three or four of, of Ozark. Anytime Tom Pelfrey shows up... Um, He's awesome, and he's very good in this show as well. Um, it's just a really interesting show. I'm, I think there's eight episodes. Again, this first season just wrapped, so uh, it's it's kind of easy to to get into. And one kind of bonus um, bonus recommendation, I'll, I'll say, um, I've definitely really gotten into Reservation Dogs on Hulu. Um, it took me it took me a minute to kind of get a feel for the show. It is nominally a thirty minute comedy. Um, about a group of kids uh, on a reservation, Native American reservation in Oklahoma. Um, but once I kind of got a feel for the show and once they started kind of building, like the kids are all really good in the show. Like they're all like kind of supposed to be like teenagers um, just figuring out what the heck they're doing with their lives. But then once they started bringing all these kind of like other characters from where they live and that's when I think the show really hits its stride and it can just basically like spend an episode talking about like this random character that is not one of the nominal main characters and just make an awesome episode of television. And it's like, even though it's taking place in this world that is pretty foreign to a lot of us, right. Um, it makes it very relatable. And while kind of also bringing in some of the like unique cultural touch points of what it means to, you know, grow up in, um, in kind of native American culture. So, um, so definitely a really cool show. Um, I look forward to seeing it every week and it's just kind of like comfort food to me. I just like really enjoy, like it's not like a laugh out loud type comedy usually, um, but it's just really enjoyable mixes in kind of the kind of drama components as well. And just a super likable show. So definitely been excited about that. And it's gotten a lot, definitely a lot of like critical buzz. Um, so I'm sure it'll be around for, for season three as well. So that is my, that is my quick TV recommendation set. Um, I think we're almost wrapped up. We've gone super long. We've violated first, every, first time that's ever happened. We violated every tenant of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're at like an hour twenty something right now, but you know, screw it. Um, any other shows, movies, pop culture takes that you guys have, or maybe even basketball? I don't know. Basketball takes. I guess we'll allow those as well. But any other takes, guys? Before we we sign off and let people go off to their weekends. Uh, so I don't really watch TV, but my friends all enjoy Stranger Things. So at yes. some point they were going to get together and watch some episodes of stranger things. And I just happened to be hanging out with them when they did it. It seemed pretty cool. 
I like I jumped in on uh, episode four of this season where uh, the the one character Max it made Kate Bush famous again. Yeah, um, that was fun. The like the episodes after that were fun as well. So I don't know. I didn't watch it all. I've only seen those episodes, but those episodes of Stranger Things were pretty cool. I've watched every season. I'm a big fan. You know, if you put a gun to my head and say what was the central plot of this bad guy and what was happening in these different seasons? How do they relate? I, I, <laughs> you know, to be honest, I, I still don't really understand how this stuff relates, but just a really, I think just the aesthetic of the show, the music soundtrack, yeah, I'm, I'm a sucker for like period piece, anything set convincingly in the eighties, seventies, sixties. Um, like you mentioned JJ licorice pizza. Like I love just the feel of that movie. Right. Um, I just really like the Fargo season two is my favorite Fargo season. On, if, if people are familiar with that show that's set in the seventies, I just love it when people really like nail a point in time and bring in the music and the soundtrack and the feel of, of that era. And that's definitely a show that, that I love for, for the reasons that, that you mentioned, Eric. And again, do I fully remember, understand everything that happened? Eh, not really, but I don't know. Maybe that's kind of like the show, the sign that you have some great characters and you're doing a lot of things right when you can kind of yada yada, you know, some of the plot point stuff. Go ahead, JJ. I was just going to say, I mean, you like recreating eras. You got to check out Il Buca, where they perfectly recreate this whole <laughs> the Calabrian Peninsula or whatever, wherever it is. Is that bad new, JJ? Or is well, this episode sponsored by Il Buco? That was a very good movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Big Italy has their, their I got their money. Um, I would actually going to bring up Licorice Pizza again because I was like, what's a movie people might actually watch that I talked about? I mean, I'm ready for the tweet. When I tweet this out, I will say I went on Lockdown Bucks and talked about Il Buco and Memoria. So I've got that locked and loaded. But um, Licorice Pizza was, I mean, if only because Drive My Car was like Station Eleven for you. That was the movie that made me cry the most um, since, I mean, who knows how long. I left that movie and like, I was like, oh, call my wife afterwards and then couldn't speak for like five minutes. Licorice Pizza, I did not have that experience. I left and was like, please, you need to go see this tomorrow because we couldn't see it together since we uh, have a child. But um, Licorice Pizza is just such a like, an alive movie and so full of energy. And I think on first watch, it felt very much like it's one of the rare films where I truly had no sense of where it was going. The very opposite of Top Gun Maverick, where I knew what Maverick was going to pull off, but on a rewatch and one of many rewatches I've had of that movie at this point, like it is so intricately structured and each of those stories are layered in a way that builds so clearly and, uh, all is in service of both these like smaller kind of touches upon California in the 1970s, but specifically the relationship between or friendship between the two characters at, at the center of the film. Um, and I've just come at this point, Paul Thomas Anderson, the director, one of America's big auteurs at this point. Um, I, I've loved all of his films. I have a cat named after uh, his film Phantom Thread. I think at this point, Licorice Pizza is my second favorite of his films behind the one that I have a cat named after. But he did Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Uh, of course, to bring it one back of, to Tom Cruise. One of, yeah. Frank T. Um, Mackey, one of the most memorable underrated yeah, 
performances of Tom Cruise's career. One of the most charming, nice guys he's ever played on screen. Just a real cool, normal guy who likes that fun and loves his dad and is nice to women. Um, but yeah, I love judging you. <laughs> One of my favorite lines from that movie. Yeah. But yeah, I love Licorice Pizza. And then if you are, if there are any parents and the brief kind of talk about Bluey did not convince you. I like TV too. Succession's great. The rehearsal was awesome. Barry Jenkins is the Underground Railroad, maybe the most beautiful TV show ever made. But really for me, it's all Bluey. I love Bluey so much. I cry at every other episode, at which point my daughter says, why are you crying? And I say, we're watching Bluey. You should know why I'm crying at this point. <laughs> the show is on that makes me cry. But um, it's such a light kind of like, it it does not feel heavy handed in the way so many other kid shows feel. And there's like a real just like commitment to natural kind of character based humor. But also like if you are a parent and you are watching that, oh, the episode where Bingo struggling to sleep on her own and has a dream, man, that thing kills me. Um, Licorice Pizza, the Bradley Cooper uh, portion of Licorice Pizza is just phenomenal. And the part that was most amazing to me, what is the name? Do you remember? Is it John Peters? Is that the name yeah. of the guy? Oh, yeah. He is one of the most fascinating. I, I didn't really know much about him. And then I Wikipedia'd him afterwards. And this real life character, who's just like an insane person in this movie, brilliantly played by Bradley Cooper, um, as just one of the most fascinating stories uh, in Hollywood. Like he was like basically um, a, a hairstylist and then somehow ends up what dating Barbara Streisand and then becomes like a big shot movie producer and becomes like wildly successful, but also remains like crazy. <laughs> It's just like if you haven't yet, um, <laughs> of course, I'm talking about him. If you haven't yet listened to the episode of the Bill Simmons podcast with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, he tells some real life John Peter stories that are unbelievable. I won't spoil them here, but man, that guy is nuts. <laughs> and if John Peters, if you are listening to this, um, pretend you didn't hear that. He, he only listened to the, the Bucks part, I bet. Again, we all, all the famous people that listen to this podcast, they they didn't stick around for the for the movie yeah, talk. I don't think they, like, what, what, is, what are Grayson's minutes going to look like? This they, they were, you know, John Peters tuned in. He was hoping for some Jordan Wara uh, hashtag scuttlebutt. Um, Very disappointing. I know yeah. Kane and Camille uh, uh, and I think Justin talked about that the other day. Uh, we'll go on, we'll go 90 minutes on... <laughs> <laughs> on Jordan Wara some, some other time. <laughs> that's that's how boring the Bucks are, is that Eric had to write about you know Jordan Wara's uh situation the other day. By the way, my, my only comment on Jordan Wara is um sign the damn qualifying offer, Jordan. What are you what are you screwing around for? Just take the damn qualifying offer. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know what the I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure what the goal is. Like I'm thinking he wants someone to get hurt and on some other team, and then maybe that team wants to trade. I don't know. How many roster spots are available on other teams at this point? Not many. Not yeah. many. So anyway, I'm glad we were able to bring this full circle. <laughs> yep, we did it. <laughs> and touch on Bucks minutia at the end. Um, you know, uh if if you made it this far, God bless you. Uh shoot, shoot 
send me a, a, a send me a, a a mention on Twitter and tell tell me that you got to the end of this. Um, like if we have any blank check fans coming over, that show is regularly over three hours these days. Well, not regularly, a couple times, but it's always over. They've like, been ready for this. Yeah, they're always longer than the movie. So they're just it. they're disappointed that this one's too short. They're, like the blank oh. check listeners, are like what the come on. On the Reddit and see what happens when the episodes are shorter than the movie. It is oh, pandemonium. We've got we've got dads cutting lawns this weekend. We've got moms going to you know <laughs> soccer tournaments. Like they need ninety minute podcasts, of course, to, yep. to tie them over. They need those those pods for the car rides to bore their kids with. So shout out to you kids uh, listening to us, <laughs> uh, wanting to tune us out. But um, JJ, Eric, it's been real. Let's not wait four years to do another one of these. Um, I mean, next and, summer we have another Mission Impossible movie, right? Mission yeah. Impossible Dead Reckoning. We'll, we'll bring it back. Um, if Tom Cruise dies before then, we'll, we'll have it. to do an emergency pod. Yeah. Emergency pod! All right. That's it for us. Lockdown Bucks. Breaking all rules of the Lockdown Podcast Network 92 minutes later. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. And we promise we'll talk more bucks uh, next week as training camp begins and actual real basketball starts to happen. But in the meantime, have a great weekend. And uh, let us let us know if you've got any movie or TV show recommendations. We'll maybe shout out some of those as well. Thanks if you so watch El Fuco, let me know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let JJ know if you watch El what, what is your Twitter handle, Henry J? Is it JJ? JJ.biz. JJ D O T B I Z. If you want to. Learn about what's happening on film Twitter these days. And legit, Eric, legit branding way better than JJ Bursch spelled wrong. Like yeah. JJ.biz is way better. Yeah. yeah. Eric, I'm not I'm not plugging your Twitter because everybody who listens this already follows you. But, right. Uh Eric name, follow him at uh the athletic cutahay. And uh <laughs> we'll uh have, he'll 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 be back very soon as as he as he teases. All right, we're out. Thanks.